Most often, the brightest smiles come from those who've struggled the most. What's behind your smile? Let's open up and talk about what's really going on behind the smile. And sometimes it's okay to fake it until we make it. I'm Vonnie Woodrick. Join me to gain insight on how many of us hide behind the smile to get through painful and difficult times. My podcast is a safe place where others can share their stories and discuss how opening up rather than hiding behind a smile allows for growth and happiness. For you NHL fans, the name Bob Wilkie may sound very familiar as he played for the Detroit Red Wings and Philadelphia Flyers and was an all-star five times in his career and went on to win three major championships. His accomplishments on the ice are impressive, yet what he's doing off the ice is what truly is making a difference. Bob is also a best-selling author, He is a mental performance and life coach, elite hockey coach, a former talk show host, and motivational speaker. While coaching in 2008, Bob realized the athletes and parents were showing the same signs he experienced while dealing with his own personal trauma at a young age. He sold his hockey pro shop, received a life coach certification, and began his journey to help provide insight and healing throughout the United States with his organization, I Got Mind. I Got Mind has helped thousands of individuals see the issues and open the door to conversations that make a difference. I'm so excited to have Bob Wilkie here. Welcome, Bob. Bonnie, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for reaching out, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. First of all, I just want to say thank you for joining us on the Behind the Smile podcast. I'm Vani Woodrick, the founder of I Understand, a nonprofit organization that supports those that have lost a loved one to death by suicide or struggle with mental health illness, and this podcast host. One thing I just love about what I do is I get to meet so many interesting people. You are one of those very interesting people, and I would just like you to start by just sharing a little bit first of your history and your early hockey career. You know, it was an interesting journey for me. The passion really started at a very young age, three, four years old, uh, watching it on TV with dad every Saturday night. And it just, it took over from there. And it, it went so fast, Bonnie. Next thing I know, I'm sitting in the locker room with the Detroit Red Wings going, how did this happen? You know, the challenges that came with it. And, you know, people, they try and share, it's going to be tough. You're going to have to make sacrifices, but they don't specifically tell you what those are going to be. So, I was ill-prepared, my parents were ill-prepared, and in the course of achieving my goal of becoming an NHL hockey player, lots of different things started to happen. Um, You know, really started to pull away and and put up walls at a very young age, 12, 13 years old, because of the pressure, the stress. What I've learned is it's something called the power differential, you know, that coaches hold over us. So there was a lot of fear-based leadership. Um, You know, you couldn't make a mistake, and, and yet they tell you, in one breath, it's okay to make a mistake. You know, we want you to make mistakes and then you do, and then you're punished for it. So, you know, lots of different confusing messages that really led to me shutting down at an early age. You know, it was frustrating for me because at one time I could talk to my parents about the things that were bothering me, but then it started to be the same messaging from them as it was the coaches, you know, lots of pressure, lots of fighting between them. You know, mom saying this is an unhealthy environment, dad saying, just let them be and let them, let them do this. So, you know, it was just a really hard journey as a young person and being shipped away from home at 17 years old to pursue that goal was not really a thought of mine. You know, I wasn't prepared for that. Um, so that was a big struggle, you know, leaving all my friends and family 
going living in a strange town in somebody's basement that I didn't know. And then, you know, really at 17 years old, going through what was the most traumatic event that I think I experienced in my young life was the bus accident in 1986 that killed four of my teammates. And, you know, watching one of my good friends take his last dying breath, I just wasn't the same after that. The depression took over. Trauma was not a word that was used back then in 86. You know, not a lot of support as far as professionally like there is today when there's some sort of tragedy. You see tons of people rushing in to support the groups. We didn't really have that. We had each other. And I'm so thankful that, you know, I had those people because I don't know if I would have made it through without the love and support of those people. And they were as confused as we were. So we found ourselves in this boat that we didn't know what to do. And we figured out ways to cope. And unfortunately, when people are traumatized, you don't necessarily revert to the best practices. You know, so substance abuse really started to be a problem. And as I started to become a little bit older and really getting drafted and becoming a pro, there was a big concern from the professional team, the Red Wings. You got a problem. What's wrong with you was the word that I kept hearing all the time. You know, if you don't get it together. So again, you know, guilt and shame and verification that there was something wrong because they were saying that what's wrong with you. And I knew something was, but I didn't feel comfortable telling everybody that I couldn't sleep and I was having anxiety attacks and the booze and the drugs helped me get to sleep and manage all the confusing and frustrating and terrifying thoughts and dreams that I was having. So this self-destructive behavior just continued. And eventually what happened for me was I couldn't meet the expectations, the high expectations that everybody had of me, but I sure could meet the low expectations. And that's the conditioning that I started to adapt. It's easier to be the disappointment than it is to try and be the success story. And that led to depression, anxiety attacks, where I would end up in the hospital because I thought I was having a heart attack at 21 years old. And eventually getting to that point at 24 and having lots of different times in my life saying, you know, what, what's the purpose of all this? Like, it would just be so much easier to pull the plug and end this thing. And who would really care in those places where we end up that it's hard to believe. I was just a kid with a dream. And unfortunately, that dream turned into a nightmare pretty quickly. Wow. That is quite an incredible story. And it almost kind of leaves me speechless because prior to the age of 24, you already dealt with some pretty severe traumas. And being in the NHL, you know, all of that pressure that goes with that. And then you knew that you were dealing with something, you know, that anxiety and depression. Did you know at that time that it was anxiety and depression? You know, when I got out of the hospital, when the doctor came in, because I thought I was having a heart attack and said, no, actually, you're having a panic attack. That really threw me for a loop. It's like, how could I, a professional athlete that can deal with the excessive stress of playing in the high pressure games, how can I be having anxiety attacks? So it was very confusing. And, you know, again, living in a culture where you have to be tough, you have to suck it up. And you see instances where some of your teammates or friends were battling with something and they raised their hands and then they're punished for it. You know, they're banished for it because nobody wants to deal with it. Nobody knows how to deal with it. There's no safe space for you to really be able to open up and say, you know what, I just can't handle this. I don't know what to do. Really led to a lot of isolation. And, you know, I've had teammates come to me now years later saying, I didn't know what to do. You know, I felt so bad watching you go through this, but I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to do it. And I think that that's one of the major problems still today is we see people suffering, but we don't know what to do. We don't know how to approach it. And while that doesn't solve any of our problems, Mark. No, but I think that you're doing exactly what needs to be done, and that's talking. 
and sharing your story and doing something about it, which I have so much admiration for you because of what you're doing, because of this story. So when you were dealing with the drugs and the alcohol back when you were in professional hockey, did you realize that you had a problem? Because you said people were coming to you and saying, well, you have a problem and you need help. Did you recognize it, that you needed help? And just because of all those circumstances surrounding you, you didn't ask for it or seek it? I, I think it's a combination of both. You know, it was a culture where it was kind of accepted, too. I was not the only one that was doing it. Everybody else was kind of doing it. So, again, when you're in that headspace where you can't think clearly, think straight, you know, there's no logic going on. It's hard for you to justify and say, you know what? Yeah, maybe it is just me. I definitely knew that there was something going on. I know why I used because the minute that I didn't use and I was sober and aware, I couldn't control the thoughts of what had happened different triggers, you know, getting on the bus. And that's the thing about being a professional athlete. You ride a lot of buses. After that bus accident, it was one of the most terrifying experiences was to get back on that bus. And here I am for another 14 years after that, riding buses. You know, there was lots of different triggers. You know, unfortunately, the coach that we had in Swift Current was a very negative guy, famous for being charged several times with sexually molesting a player. So that kind of thing is going on in the background. And because he's a control freak, he's playing all sorts of mind games. So that gets into your head. And then, you know, again, just that constant verification. I didn't think I had a problem, honestly. You know, I didn't, I didn't wake up and go, oh, I'm just craving a drink. The only reason that I used or when I used is when I knew that I was going to be alone with my thoughts. And that scared the crap out of me. And I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't think that I was an addict, um, but I definitely knew I had a problem. So definitely you were self-medicating to relieve some of that pain that you were struggling with. Yeah, it, it worked. Yeah. You know? And you watch it. Like I say, I was in a culture where it was it was kind of normal for the athletes to be the life of the party and everybody was drawn to that. I didn't feel like I was the only one or that I was going to be singled out. Everybody was kind of doing it. I just kind of took it to a next level because a couple of beers didn't work. I had to have several and then that stopped working. So then you get into the booze and, you know, that worked really well for a while and then that didn't work. So then, you know, the drugs and, and then you start combining them all. And I knew it wasn't what I should be doing, Bonnie, you know, I was very clear at a young age what an athlete needed to do. You know, unfortunately, uh, with the things that I had to go through, I just didn't have the skill set to deal with it. And so I failed miserably. And for a lot of years, I, I blamed the circumstances and other people. And what I've come to know is, yeah, I should have raised my hand. I should have asked for more help, regardless of what the perception was going to be or what could have happened to my professional career. Well, look at what you have accomplished during that time. I mean, during that very difficult, high trauma time in your life, you are an all-star five times and you went on to win three major championships. And you did that in spite of all of these other things that you were dealing with? I think that's the frustrating part, Bonnie. And I try not to go back to that spot because I was talented, because I, I was good at my craft, you know, what could have been. <laughs> and I think that that's a painful thing for a lot of people is, man, if I didn't screw this up, if I didn't do that, man, you'd be making so much money and you wouldn't have to do this. And yeah, it's just part of my journey now. You know, I've learned to accept that. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about helping other people learn the things that that helped me is because you, you just don't need to live like that anymore you know we can eliminate a lot of the ignorance by basic education and really by committing to 
ourselves, you know, people all the time say, well, Bob, you know, that sounds kind of selfish. It's like, yeah, you know what? You have to be a little selfish. You have to put yourself first. And unfortunately, the tendency that we all have as human beings is to put everybody else's needs ahead of ours because we're taught not to be selfish. But there's got to be some selfishness involved because if you can't take care of you, if you can't solve your problems, if you can't get your needs met, then you're truly not really helping anybody else because they're not getting the best version of you. I just love that. I love that so much because it's so true. And it really speaks to me because I think that I'm one that takes care of everybody else before I take care of me. And I recognize that. It's really hard to do, but I just am so impressed with your ability to take where you were and where you have become today. Now, what I'm curious about, do you feel like athletes today get more support than you did back in the day when, when you were the pro athlete? Yes and no. I, I think that there is some more acceptance that this is a real thing. I think the athletes of the past speaking up and talking about their issues has increase the awareness. The unfortunate part is stress and pressure that the young athletes are experiencing today is way more than I did, you know, because it is such a glorified position within society, you know, a gold medalist, a a Stanley cup champion, a super bowl champion, they're loved and revered for their accomplishment. And that becomes addicting. You know, that's an addiction in itself is you win one, you want to win another. And, you know, a good friend of mine, Steve Eiserman, who was the captain of the Red Wings, I did an interview with him one time and I said, you know, what's your greatest strength? And he said, I'd probably say, you know, my passion, my perseverance. And I said, okay, what's your greatest weakness? And he says, yeah, probably my passion and my perseverance. He says, you know, because sometimes that competitiveness really blurs my vision. And I think, you know, we get so focused on that goal that we're willing to sacrifice ourselves because we're told that we have to make sacrifices. So, I think it's getting better. You see what's happening in the Olympics right now with young Simone saying, hey, listen, I'm going to bow out of some of these things because I'm not able to do that. I think those are great events. I think those are going to have a much bigger impact on a lot of the young athletes than her winning another gold medal. The unfortunate part is the stigma is still out there and, and you watch what happens on social media, which is just such a, a demonstrative tool and people bashing her for, for doing what's right for her. And I think we got a long way to go to erase the stigma bond. Yeah. And that's why what we're doing, I think, is is really going to help that. And I'm glad that you brought Simone Biles up because she is on social media being labeled as weak, being labeled as a failure, being labeled as being the disappointment of her team. When if she sprained her ankle, we would have a much different commentary right now and we wouldn't be talking about it. But I think like for you, you said, you know, you had to, you know, you've accepted your journey and where you're at. And I think that acceptance is the key for all of us. And I think that Simone, she deserves a gold medal just for speaking out and talking about it and accepting this. And I think the light at the end of the tunnel, which I see for you and potentially for Simone, is that this is going to be able to help her help others and talk about mental health and talk about the different things that we can do. So I appreciate your transparency. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where, where Simone takes us because she's very articulate, she's very strong, and I think she's gonna take it in the right direction. So let's switch our direction up and talk about your accomplishments off the ice with your nonprofit organization, I Got Mind. What was that defining moment for you when you said, I need to do something, I need to make a change, and I'm going to start this nonprofit? Um, the journey started back in 98. My daughter was born. And, you know, I was pretending still, you know, young in a marriage, 
And the day that Sadie was born, I realized that I was now responsible for the development of this young, beautiful girl that just gave me something that I had never felt, a degree of love that changed me. And I said, I got to get it together. I got to be better. So that really started my journey. And I retired in 2000. You know, that's when I really was lost because my whole identity was, you know, Bob, the hockey player. That's how I was introduced to everybody from the age of eight. And I realized that uh, I didn't know who Bob was and I really needed to do a lot of work and find some answers. And so that's what I did. I began the journey and it was talking to people. It was listening to speakers. It was reading books constantly looking for answers i find little tidbits here and there you know if you imagine a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle with the parts scattered all over your house you know that's what it felt like i just go searching every day for another piece and over the last 21 years i found a lot of them it's definitely not complete but i can definitely see a picture that i'm proud of when i look in the mirror i'm I'm much more comfortable and i never would have imagined it would have been as hard as it's been and really understanding that it was more just conditioning and changing mindset eliminating ignorance and learning. I was coaching young athletes around 2008. I had really had a kind of a breakthrough. And I said, you know what? I see it happening with these young men, 15 years old, same things I was experiencing at 15. I got to do something about it. So I was a part of a a pro shop business and, and I sold my partnership there and I started, I got mined and I've been doing it ever since traveling around North America and the results have been fantastic. Tell us a little bit about I got mined. You know, it's an interesting thing. I went and got certified as a life coach in 2008, and that was really my breakthrough. And I didn't necessarily want to become a life coach, but what I wanted to be able to do was to learn how to take my experiences and put them into the proper context so that when I was working with young athletes that I could make the stories relatable along with the information that was a game changer. And I ran one class, we had eight kids sign up with their parents and the parents came in the courses too. And and the feedback was just phenomenal. This is so good and so valuable and thank you. And and so I knew that there was an opportunity here to really support. So I stopped doing everything with hockey. And I said, I can't just help one group of 20. I've got to try and help as many groups as I can. And I found myself in so many different locker rooms basements of houses. It's just been an awesome journey. And it's amazing when you get people and create a safe space with the right topic, how open they are. Because one of the things we found, Bonnie, is it's not that people don't want to talk about it. It's that they don't know how to talk about it. Um, And, you know, once you kind of open that door and start to share some of the things and, and be vulnerable, there's so much power in that it automatically is starting to empower the other people. So, you know, the greatest impact is creating that safe space and that willingness for people to go, okay, I feel safe here. Here's my story. And I feel like that by you doing that, you also have healed yourself, probably in places that you never even knew that you needed healing, because I can relate to that, because I truly understand that power of sharing your story. And Really, that's what my organization is is based on. It basically is my story, and it has such a big following because we don't talk about it in the way that we should be talking about it. And removing stigmatized words, and the narrative is so important for the change, and that is one of my biggest passions. So you, with your lived experience, and you think back to all of those things that you went through and all of that trauma that you dealt with and the addictions and everything else in between. And I'm sure there are happy moments too, but it has led you to today and it has led you to be making a difference in so many other people's lives. 
So with I Got Mind, if someone were to look into your organization and want help, what could they find that you would do for them? Oh, you know, over the last 13 years, it's really been an awesome evolution. You know, working with education systems, teachers, students, uh, working with businesses, small and big individual sports organizations. There's so many different solutions that we've been able to put together because we have these really in-depth conversations with people where they expose themselves and we learn about the issues. So then we develop the content. We have online learning, self-directed learning courses that can be combined with facilitated conversations and the online learning. We do a ton of community awareness events where a community will contact us and say, hey, we really, you know, have had these issues. Small community of medicine had here in Alberta had a rash of suicides of young men. Um, We're able to go in there and create some live events that people could attend. Why we end up there and how do we deal with it afterwards? You know, for us, it's about really generating awareness and making people comfortable having those conversations. And we've just developed a a lot of different platforms that can support them. And our newest one is, uh, you know, a men's mental health program that we're really excited about. Uh, You know, men are major contributors to how their kids developed, how the relationships are, what we're teaching future men. And we just think that there's a real need there because of all the different things that men are going through, especially during this pandemic. So lots of different solutions for uh, lots of different demographics. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate the fact that you're focusing on men. You know, I lost my husband almost 18 years ago. And um, I feel like we've made a lot of progress from 18 years ago. But I feel like men feel like they're weak if they share. Men feel like that, you know, it's that stigma that is still prevalent today. But I think that when we start talking about it, and this is like my biggest passion is changing that narrative and changing actually the definition of suicide. And that change would be from one who intentionally kills himself to an effect of a mental brain health illness because we are dealing with our brain or pain. Because I don't think we talk enough about the pain that we all go through. I think every one of us can be at risk for addiction, suicidal thoughts, you know, masking our pain and wanting other people to know. So what do you think of that? Do you find that when you talk to people that pain is the catalyst behind depression and suicidal thoughts? Every time. Being emotional beings, it's amazing how little we know about our emotions. And, you know, unfortunately, again, you know, you come back to society and, and it's been really fascinating to kind of go back through the history and, and those cataclysmic events like like the pandemic. You go back to World War One. OK, how did that change things? You know, people had to become resilient. They had to become tough. What do you do? You suppress and you just move forward. And then World War Two comes along and, and you know, then, then then the Great Depression comes along. And, you know, all these different things that we've had to go through as human beings, you know, then the corrective measures. So, you know, you got baby boomers and, and they're all taught to, you know, suck it up and get tough and just keep going through it. And so that's what they're teaching their kids and their kids go, well, I don't like that. I'm going to teach my kids this. And now we're now we're too soft. We, we've got no resilience. And that's why I think we're seeing a lot of the mental health issues, you know, really start to skyrocket is because we don't have some of that grit that, you know, know, grandma and grandpa had to have with the life that they lived. You got all these different things happening in one period of time. And it's just, it's kind of the perfect storm. And, you know, as much as COVID an awful experience for so many, the thing I've learned, you know, uh, crisis is a terrible thing to waste. You know, there's lots of opportunity for us to improve and make things better in the world. And I think, you know, if if we can put a little bit of our time and energy into that, um, we're going to come out of this okay. 
one of my favorite things is a butterfly because like the butterfly, we can all be in dark places like the cocoon. But through time and transformation, we all have the ability to emerge into something beautiful. So it's what we do with what we learn, right? Because you could have taken a whole different path, but there was something in you that wanted to make a change, that wanted to help other people, and wanted to make a difference. And you're doing that. So what is your ultimate goal with I Got Mind? To educate the world. <laughs> I love that because, I yeah. I actually have it on my wall. You know, I have a vision board and one of the pictures I have is, uh, you know, a big picture of the world. And one of my mantras is I, I am, I can, I will. And, you know, I've got that attached to, to that picture. And yeah, one by one, you know, have conversations with people and, and make a difference because I know the ripple effect of one positive conversation and it changes that one person's life. And, you know, the multiplication uh, and the outreach that happens from there. I mean, why not? Right, Bonnie? <laughs> if you're going to dream, dream. Absolutely. I felt for a long time I was like an army of one. And I think you validated for me that once we start sharing and opening up, we have troops behind us that support us. And then we get that support that just keeps us going and keeps us going. And then, you know, occasionally we get the negative person that might be negative or whatever with it. That also motivates me to prove them wrong. So I absolutely love what you're doing, but you're located in Canada, but you travel throughout the whole United States. Yeah. My, uh, my family, my wife and my kids are born in the States. So um, we've lived in both places for excessive amount of time. I, I really feel like I'm a North American. <laughs> I'm not a Canadian. I'm not American. I'm a little bit of both. And problems are consistent across the world. Uh, before the pandemic, we were going to Russia to work with some young athletes because they're recognizing that they need some more education around that. And again, if you do the research on the history of Russia, those people have suffered trauma for generations. Yeah, we all need it. You know, for me, Bonnie, I think the biggest thing that really changed everything is just love. You know, it, they put it on posters and some people say it's corny, but it really was. It was, you know, the love of my wife at the time in my life where I was at my lowest that I feel that gave me some hope and really passion to keep moving. The, the birth of my daughter, the birth of my son, you know, those are all things that really changed me. And I think the biggest one was being able to look in the mirror. And it was something I had to practice for a long time and just tell myself that I loved myself because I felt so shameful and so guilty of all the things that I had done in the past. Once I, you know, let that go and really accepted myself, it changed everything. So, you know, for me, love is the main driver. The more I talk to you, the more I like you. <laughs> because, you know, one of the things that for me, I understand, right, it came from being surrounded by people that didn't understand. And the one thing that got me through was love. And love comes from so many unexpected places. And it's, you know, we live in this couple's world and people think of all the romantic love, but it's love that you feel from your children. It's love that you feel from strangers knowing you made a difference in their life. It's a love that I feel gratitude for you and everything that you're doing in this space with your platform to change. Because together we're better. Together we can help each other. Together we can spread the word. And I think that's what's, for me, has been such a highlight of this. So for us, it's I understand love heals. So I think that's pretty awesome. One of my favorite songs, you know, Lenny Kravitz, Let Love Rule. I saw him in concert in Detroit at the Fox Theater and I'll never forget it. Still gives me goosebumps thinking about it. 
And it's definitely number one on my playlist. Uh, I love that. I love that too. I love Lenny Kravitz. So, all right, one more thing. What's Buddy Up? Tell me about Buddy Up. That a phrase you use? No, the Buddy Up campaign is through Center for Suicide Prevention here up in Canada. And because men are one of the major contributors to suicide, the demographics, um, it's on the rise, unfortunately. And, and we really felt like supporting the Buddy Up program because it does create more awareness. Like you, Vani, we're, we're always looking for people that are wanting to work together. Unfortunately, in the mental health space, there's way too much competition and people fighting amongst each other for market share. And, and that's just not the right intention. So the work that they were doing, we just felt was right in line with what we were and whatever we could do to get behind and support. It gives tools, it gives some ideas, and it creates the conversation that men typically don't have. So the Buddy Up campaign, if you haven't seen it, get on the Suicide Prevention Center website. It gives some great tools and opportunities for men to connect in a way that we've not typically connected I love that, too. And I I really appreciate the fact that you recognize that fight for space in the nonprofit world. And I tell my little team all the time, I'm like, if we're going to compete, we're going to compete with how many lives we can change. That's all we're going to compete with. We love partnering with other nonprofit organizations and spreading their word and having them join us at our event. And the ones that don't, we don't need them. I mean, when we do things out of the goodness of our heart for the right reasons, The people that need to be touched are touched, and it continues to help heal us. So, Bob, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, I like to have these conversations. Yeah, I like to fish. I love to golf. I started playing hockey again, Bonnie. You know, that was a big thing for me. There was so much pain there that I really didn't enjoy it. So I've gotten back to that. Trying to create new life experiences. You know, I know that uh, we only get one life to live. I think that's one of the realizations. And I want to make the most of every minute so that when I look back, it's like, damn, that that was good. You, You did it well. Well, from my point of view, damn, you did it well. And I so appreciate your time with me today and getting to know a little bit about you. I truly find you inspirational. And um, where can people find you if they want to learn more? Igotmine.ca is the easiest way. The website has a ton of information. You can contact me. There's a little button on the bottom of the page and you can set up a time to meet and talk. If there's anything we can do to help facilitate some healing and learning and growing, that's what we're all about. And that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Bob has quite the story. The trauma he experienced at a young age shaped his entire life and led him to a passion to make a difference, something I can truly relate to. The most impactful words I heard in this conversation were, love from my wife. Bob recognizes that without her unconditional love, he doesn't know where he would be. There's so much power when love is given and received, but when recognized as a healing element, the impact is even greater. Thank you, Bob, for joining us and sharing the pain behind your smile and how that pain brought you to a place of helping others, in turn, healing yourself. You can find out more about Bob Wilkie at igotmind.org. Thank you to our community partner, Bigby Coffee, for your continued support, allowing us to start the conversation with a Bigby beverage. And thank you to Stuart Poltrock at Soundpost Studios for making us sound so good.